we gather this morning and the sun is shining, but it certainly wasn't all that great a day yesterday. In the midst of very heavy showers, the sun did come out, but only occasionally. But when it did, some remarkable scenes were seen in the sky. The rainbows and the colours of rainbow. We saw one over home base. I don't know whether that was meant to encourage us to go in and buy a new Christmas tree or whatever. But we saw one over home base. And Elizabeth last night got one sent to her from a friend or a colleague. I can't remember who it was. And it was a complete one. Whether well, it was a pot of gold at the end, well, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. But of course, rainbows only exist because of the contrast because of the fact that there is water in the air. There is a reflection of the, the molecules of water in the air that the light of the sun causes. And you see that range of colours, that spectrum of colours exists when, yes, there is sunshine, but also when there are clouds and rain. And we certainly can't deny that we live in a time when there are clouds We've had the period of COVID. I'm sure we're all longing for a better Christmas than last year. The minister included. There was nothing worse than having a watch night service sitting in here. Well, I'm going to say two men and a dog. It was maybe a bit more than that. But a few faithful saints and having to look at the camera all the time. I can assure you that was a low point in, in my ministry. And so we're all looking for something a bit better this year. Yes, we have to wear masks and all the rest of it. There's still all these issues. Although I was at the cinema on Tuesday night, and I can assure you, once everybody sat down, the masks were off, there was no social distancing, and I'm still here to tell the story. But James Bond, by the way, if you want to know what I went to see, it was, good. it was quite good. It was quite good. But nonetheless, that's, in many ways, the least of it. Because we become aware, particularly with the COP26 conference, of the real challenges that our world faces. The dark clouds of rain and of flood and of famine and of fire that afflict other parts of the world. We might have get, according to what the scientists tell us, wetter winters and all the rest of it. Some people in the world, of course, are threatened with flood and being washed away. Now, you heard this morning some people from Kiribati out in the Pacific speaking of how their islands, low-lying atolls, are affected by the rising of the sea caused by the change in temperature. And we've seen the demonstrations. And we've heard the various people speak, not only those officially within the conference, those outside. Some of you have heard Greta Thunberg and her comments about it the other day. And some of you have saw the large crowds that gathered yesterday, Ian McQuarrie, and while others were joining with tear funds, part of that large demonstration. Although I don't think you changed yourself to George V Bridge, did you, Ian? No, no, I don't know. I, I don't know. It was the police roundabout. <laughs> you avoided that. So you're not a, you're only a prisoner, aren't you? Interesting enough, on, on Twitter, and I do get Twitter, I wonder if I, I had it ready to show you, there, it came up in the, on my phone that that was the case, that there had been folk chaining themselves to the bridge, and let's see what happens, it's all going black now, just when I was trying to show you it, um, and interesting, the, the Twitter feed after it was really quite um, interesting, we live in a very divided world, a very divided world, and it's not going to come up, so I'll just need to leave it, a very divided world where people um, both think there should be changes and are desperate for changes, but also where people show very strong reaction. And I tell you, some of the tweets were taken off because they were so variable about what should happen to those who chained themselves to the bridge. And so there are these divisions, differences, tensions, dark clouds in our world and in all that's happening round about us. 
that just as surely as the sun is shining, even when it's raining, even when there's dark clouds, I'm reminded of that this morning as the sun streams in here, so as we gather together this morning and as God's people gather up and down our world, including believers in Kiribati who are being threatened with being washed out of their homes and others who are facing all sorts of calamities and humans, their actions and their behaviour causing all sorts of problems, We need to affirm, the church of Jesus Christ needs to affirm that the sun of righteousness still shines and that the rainbow in the sky is a reminder of God's covenant promise that this world will not pass away until God has done with it and then it will pass away and obey you heaven and a you earth. And those verses that I read briefly this morning from first letter of John reminds us of that. It's important to get our perspective because we can be tossed about by every wind and wave. We can so easily have our life cluttered by all sorts of concerns and issues, both domestic and personal, as well as national and global. And in the midst of all of that, those dark clouds would easily seem to overshadow everything else until our perspective and our understanding of who we are, of why we're here, of what's all this about, is lost in a fog of despair and disillusionment. And there is much of that going about in our world and in our society today. When John was writing this letter, things really weren't that much different. Can I say that one of the challenges for me as a minister, and I'm sure hopefully anyway, he would agree with me, that in the 30-odd years I've been a minister, this context and the setting of the New Testament has become more real. It was written, the New Testament was written as a story of God working in a pre-Christian world. In a world where there was pantheism, there was all sorts of spiritualities, where there was nature worship, and where the people didn't devote themselves to all sorts of things. It's not that they didn't believe in things, they believed in a myriad of things and gave themselves over to them. And where the church was a small minority, and where to say Jesus was Lord threatened one's life. Because it was anathema to those who were in power, to the establishment, and to those who had a vested interest in keeping control over people. That's the setting for the New Testament. And that's our world increasingly today, including our own society. And when John was writing, the cracks were already appearing within the Roman Empire. Emperor Nero, some years before, had tried to secure his power by making a public display of victory over his enemies, by burning people alive and crucifixes on the roads into Rome. By the latter part of the first century, the answer of Rome to these challenges was increasing control over people, determining what people could believe and think and do in an empire where at one time people were free to exercise their faith. That's why the Jewish people continued to exist. That's why there was a temple in Jerusalem. That's why Pilate was actually cautious about getting involved in all of that. By the end of the first century, that had all begun to change. Does that not ring bells with our world and society today? And John writing to these Christians was encouraging them that despite these changes that they were seeing and that we see, we need to keep focused 
and what really is at the heart of all things. And that's why he says at the beginning of chapter 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. John, of course, would be very much aware of love. Tradition has it that he was the bishop of the church in Ephesus. And just outside of Ephesus was a great temple to the goddess Diana, the goddess of love. And behind the beautiful stone and the beautiful architecture and all the practices that outwardly appeared, behind all of that, John would also have been aware of the abuse, the sexual abuse, the emotional abuse, the relational abuse and the innocent, and the vulnerable, and the weak, that went on in the name of the goddess of love. But John rescues love in his letter and in his gospel. And he uses a particular Greek word that actually was never used, really, because there was no understanding of what he meant. But the word he uses, which is translated as see what great love here, is a love, is a word that speaks of a giving of oneself, not an emotion, not primarily an emotional, warm, gooey kind of, come on, let's have a cuddle kind of love, but an act of sacrifice, agape love, an act of self-giving, an act of reaching out, an act of embracing and drawing in at cost to oneself. John uses that word throughout his letter because he wants to focus our attention on the lavish love of the Father. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, tells us that God has poured by the Holy Spirit his love into our hearts. That's the picture. A wee bit, I, wasn't, I didn't want to be overly abundant with pouring the water out, actually, or you'd have really been soaked. But the idea of if I'd got a bucket of water poured over you, that would have been a good visual aid of what John's saying here. But I thought that would have been a wee bit step too far. Illustration, as some of us from older times remember, visual aids can be helpful, but if you go too far, they can be a bit controversial. But that's the picture of, of God's wave, downpour of love for us in Jesus Christ. It's lavish. It's beyond our comprehension. It's higher than the highest mountains. It's deeper than the deepest valley. It's wider than the widest ocean. Such is the love of God. God so loved not just this world, but all of his creation. And he has poured that love out on us. And he has done that in his son, Jesus Christ. We saw at the beginning, it's not particularly a new video now, it's one we've used a couple of times in the past at Easter. But I still find it very moving. The crowds were amazed. Here was one who taught with authority, unlike the religious leaders of the establishment of the day. Here was one who had an eye on the vulnerable, those who were on the fringes, those who others looked down upon and rejected. Here was somebody who reached out that hand of mercy and compassion, but not just the hand of mercy and compassion, the hand of deliverance, the hand of healing, the hand of hope, the hand of you life. So quite rightly, later on in this letter, verses that I made reference to when Ashley was baptized, 
John writes this in verse 9 of chapter 4 of his letter. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He gave himself upon that cross. The one who spoke and brought everything into being. The one who fashioned from the dust humanity is the one who took upon himself our sins. The Lamb of God who came to take away our sins and bore them. And the consequence of them as the Father's judgment fell upon him. All for us. And see what he says. He says that lavish love of God means that we can be his children. It's like receiving any gift. You saw last night we were watching something on television on Channel 4. And now it's all the Christmas adverts. Um, Scott was joking when I spent some time with Scott on Friday that before Christmas arrives, we even have Easter eggs in the shops for the next bun feast. You know, it's a bit like that, isn't it? And all these gifts and all these stars, I don't mean the stars in the sky, I mean the stars of of television and drama appear on them um, as if they don't get paid enough. Uh, They appear in these adverts to sell off and to persuade us to go into Boots or M&S or whatever else. That this gift, this cake or this this present, that that perfume that the old lady, you're watching Boots advert now, the perfume the old lady gets is the smell of love. But of course, we can refuse to accept a gift. We can reject it. John tells us that men in the world do. Dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known. But he he says the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You can choose the gift or you can reject it. You can open your life to discover more of what that gift means. When you unwrap it on Christmas Day, I still remember our children, especially Colin, who likes getting gifts. And thank you for your generosity because he's been very chuffed over these last few months. Um, he, he, he opened up, and I remember him. He's more interested in the box and the paper and all the rest of it than actually what he got. But you know, there was a mystery to him. I did have to say to Elizabeth last night, if you're listening to this, sorry, Colin Emma, but I did say, I wonder what Hannah will give me for Christmas. <laughs> the gift of life. The best gift of all. And God has offered that in Jesus Christ and wants us to unwrap that and discover that for ourselves. And yes, many will not and will not understand and think we've lost our marbles or whatever else and and at best, we'll just kind of, oh, well, you know. And at worst, we'll turn cold towards us. But Jesus warned us that such it would be, for the world did not know him. But we can be his child and discover what that means for our life and for our living and for our understanding of all that's going on in our world today. And that will mean that we live, our lives are changed. And it was interesting, and I was moved when Ashley said that. She wanted and sense a fresh beginning, especially with the gift of a new child. That's what John's saying here. He says, we know that when Christ appears, verse 2, we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Love is amazing. It changes how you feel about things. A wee illustration of that. Um, Colin and Emma were visiting us during the week. And Colin came running into the kitchen and said, quick, get a cloth, cloth, cloth. Hannah's been sick in the settee. Now, I have to tell you, if that had been 30 years ago, 
I was to got a cloth, but there might have been a wee bit more of a, what? <laughs> Whereas I found myself, and it was amazing, I found myself, oh, there they are, on you go. Clear them up, I'll be fine. That's why we never got you sofa. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Love changes. How we feel, it's not that I don't love my children, of course I do. But I'm beginning to discover what it is to love a grandchild. And it is a bit different. They can make as much mess as you like. And then they can go. <laughs> but it's also moving to see your own children grow up. And model, despite all my imperfections, model something of what they've seen. As in love, they follow the example of their mum, particularly, I have to say, and their dad and a lesbian. That's what love does. We want to model the lover of our souls. As we know the grace and love of God within our lives, so we yearn to be more and more like Jesus. And that will have an impact on our world. There is a great longing, and you could see that, could you, in the various demonstrations and, and complaints. And, you know, Greta, bless her, I have to say, personally, I'm not a fan of her, personally. Um, but what she was saying was right. All that talk, all those conferences, all those people flying about. A friend of mine, it was, it was Alan, Alan Cruikshank sent us, sent us a wee video. It was obviously doctored, but it was like this air display of these fancy planes, hundreds of them taking off from Glasgow Airport, you know? You just wonder what kind of carbon uh, footprint was made by the President of the United States or the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia or whoever. There can be all of that. So much talk, so much show, so much pomp and circumstance, and yet where are the radical changes? You can see that frustration. You can see that yearning for a new beginning and for a longing for a change. My friends, God has placed that longing in the human heart. We have that desire for deliverance. We have that longing for a new beginning. We have that conviction that there must be something better. But my friends, it doesn't live in the leader, it doesn't lie in the leaders of the world. Nor with best intention those who complain against them. It lies very clearly with Jesus Christ. Look what he says. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This world will be consumed by fire. This temporal age, and notice the queen mentions that in her address, that nothing is permanent, nothing is eternal. We all must die. There is temporal realities that come to bear, but there is eternal promise that is offered in Jesus Christ. A message for our world. In all its fear, in all its concern, in all its frustrations and weariness, the promise is that as children of God, we shall see him. For we shall see and we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. That's the impact on the world and on our life. And not just here, but hereafter. We can know God's amazing love. Is that the rainbow that shines over your life this morning? 
Is that the promise of a covenant that Jesus said was in his blood, the new covenant in his blood? That we have received that gift. That we know by the Spirit of God what it is to call upon God as our Father. That yes, it has set us apart and we're not the same as everybody else. There is a distinctive difference and our calling is increasingly to model the likeness of Jesus. It will impact our world here and in the future as we live and know him released in all his abundant generosity in our lives, not just individually, but our lives as God's people. And John writing to the church, which had its problems and had all the issues going on that we all face and was faced with a world that's challenging outside, John says right at the middle of his letter, above everything else, focus on that. Consider him. If we fix our eyes on Jesus and open the gift of who he is, then we have that sure and certain hope that something our world and our society has very little of today. Let's pray together. We see the beauty of the rainbow and we see the darkness of the clouds. We hear the clamor for a new beginning and a fair society and a fair world, climate justice as well as climate change. And yet, perhaps it's age, but for many of us sitting here this morning, we just wonder what actually will be achieved and what lasting hope will be offered as a result of this conference. And so we thank you, O God, our Father, that as a company of your people, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And on him and in him we live and move and have our being. And we offer you our worship and our thanksgiving for that, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen.